Hey everyone, welcome back to an all new edition of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you can implement in your current job today. This week's guest is Daryl Amy. You may know Daryl as the author of the Revenue Growth Engine, where it's his mission to help 10,000 great businesses grow revenue so they could create jobs and give more to their communities. You may also know Daryl as the co-host of the Selling from the Heart podcast with his co-host and one of my mentors, Larry Levine. Over the past 25 years, Daryl has worked with hundreds of companies and trained thousands of sales professionals, where it's his mission to help generous people and organizations create strategies and systems to grow revenue that they could use to give back to their communities. All of this fills Daryl with so much energy, and it's one of his favorite things to help great businesses grow by sharing successful stories from pioneers that are seeing results currently. We unpacked a ton of great information in this episode, including the importance of trust and being your real self, how you develop leadership skills in sales, the importance of having an outlet from your high-stress job, creating meaningful work, sales lessons from choir and mowing his lawn, the need for sales and marketing alignment, his goal-setting order one class, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with Daryl Amy. Daryl, welcome to the show. Hey, Tyler. It's great to be here. Daryl, I am so excited to talk to you. As I mentioned before, a friend of Larry Levine is a friend of mine as well. But before, <laughs> Likewise. before we jump into the show, I want to ask the question that I ask every guest on my show. Daryl Amy, what does it mean to you to sell from the heart? <laughs> I absolutely love that. You know, that is obviously from the Selling from the Heart podcast. And Tyler, I don't know that anyone, I've asked that question hundreds of times. I don't know that anybody has asked me that question. So, um, wow, this is, uh, this is good. I've heard so many answers. So I feel uh, like there's a whole bunch of comparison. So here's what I'm going to say. Selling, the, selling from the heart is escaping comparison. Instead of trying to be this person that you think you're supposed to be as a sales rep, you're told you're supposed to be, or you look and go, oh, I need to be like that. Bring yourself, bring yourself to the marketplace, bring your real self to your clients, uh, to your prospects, to your coworkers. And it's that, it's that example of authenticity to, that I think it really epitomizes selling from the heart because Tyler, I think so many times we feel like in order to be in whatever sales role we're in, whatever industry you're in, in sales, that we have to dress the part, that we have to be the guy, you know, or the gal, and we've got to just you know, show up with the shoe shine. And I'm not saying don't, be, of course, don't be sloppy, but in the middle of all this, there's room to be yourself. And I'll tell you, when I began to be myself in sales, which was about halfway through my career, really, because I was not taught to be myself in sales. When I began to be myself, not only uh, did I notice that I was making more money as being more successful, it was actually more fulfilled. Life was a lot more congruent for me. So uh, yeah, show up, be yourself, self in the heart. Wow. I love that. And it sounds like I, I just, I just <laughs> Thanks had for asking and, that Tyler. That was fun. Oh, I'm so glad. And I'm really shocked that nobody else has done that. I'm really glad that I was the one who did because I, I try <laughs> to be different. You, you, you obviously, uh, for those who, who haven't listened, the selling from the heart podcast is incredible. And, and it epitomizes everything that Daryl just mentioned him and his co-host, Larry Levine, who wrote selling from the heart, do a fantastic job of bringing absolutely incredible people onto the show to help promote that authenticity in the sales profession, because as Larry says, it, there's a lot of empty suits out there. A lot of people there who are. aren't, aren't genuine or, or just kind of pushing it. I, I guess, let me ask you, Daryl, what does it mean to be an empty suit? Like, what does that mean? 
Well, that, you know, there, when you get in that comparison and, and kind of faking it in sales, you end up a lot of times being an empty suit. Now, I think there's two components to that is one, and this goes straight to the trust formula that we've been talking about this fall on the trust building challenge, which by the way, if you want to hear the recordings of, you can go to 2021trustchallenge.com. Great, great uh, sessions on how to build trust. But the, 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 Baseline for trust is authentic relationship and authentic value, right? So an empty suit is someone that doesn't come with authentic relationship. It doesn't have any kind of meaningful value to bring to the table. Uh, the flip side is when you're able to show up and develop an authentic relationship with your prospects and with your clients, and you're able to bring meaningful value, meaning value that is specifically relevant to them then, then you, you do what Larry would call filling the empty suit. You know, you've got substance in there. And, um, and that's another way to look at it. Authentic relationship is sincerity. Meaningful value is substance. You need both. Sincerity and substance fills the empty suit. And we're able to come to the market as real people bringing real value. That is incredible, Daryl. And let me just take one step back here as well. I mean, you mentioned it took about half of your sales career before you actually started being yourself. What was holding you back? And, and what was that ultimate shift in saying, wow, I need to do things differently? Oh, it's a great question. So I started uh, straight out of university in B2B sales in a highly competitive dog-eat-dog industry known as the copier industry. So this will date myself. For me, it was 1993. And uh, this that was, was before, back. That was before I was born, Daryl. By the way, just, so, just so <laughs> well, <you> know. <laughs> thank you, Tyler. That uh, that just means a lot. <laughs> so sorry uh, about but, that. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. And, and so uh, I got a little a little history on this, but but that was back in the day of pagers and uh, payphones. You know, you, your client would page you, and you'd go to a payphone and call them back. We've come a long way now that we can put our phone up in front of our face and send a video to somebody, right? So it's incredible. But anyhow, back then I started in this in this industry is highly competitive. I was, you know, I was 21. I had no real prior sales experience. So I went and they said, this is how you dress. This is what you say. In fact, it was it, the initial presentation, you know, thank you for investing a few minutes with me today. What I'd like for us to accomplish in our brief meeting together is, to, you know, I know it still. 30 years later, right? Uh, it's, uh, it's good. I'm, uh, you know, I always joke I'm a recovering salesperson. I'm down to therapy twice a month. It's going pretty well. I'm starting to get rid of the tick. But uh, back then it was like, uh, you know, this is what you wear. Navy suit, white shirt, casual Friday. You can wear a blue shirt with your tie. I'm not kidding. And uh, this, it doesn't matter. And I was a Canadian kid that married a Southern girl. So I'm down in the Mid-South selling in mostly uh, semi-rural territory, right? Walking around in my Navy suit and white shirt. And I walk in and people were terrified because they thought the IRS had come to audit them, right? I'm like, don't, no, no, it's, I'm not with the IRS. That was my right. icebreaker. And, uh, you know, and so I was taught and raised in that environment that, this is how you dress. This is what you say. This is how you close. I mean, it was all very scripted. Now, there was a part of that that was really helpful because I learned to sell in an extremely um, competitive market without a whole lot of experience. It was a really good training ground for me. 
Um, and then, you know, as, as it would happen, I would promote up and become a sales manager in that organization. I would recruit more people to wear, uh, you know, blue business suits with white shirts to tell them exactly what to say. So there was this culture, um, and I think it still exists, of saying, okay, you represent our company. So when you walk through that door, this is who you are. This is how you present yourself. And uh, there wasn't a whole lot of room uh, or encouragement for being yourself. I think what happened is I, as I uh, moved through my career and in my early 30s, I started my own business. And so I think it was then when I realized, even when I started my business, I was having, I guess I still had uh, uh, post-traumatic sales syndrome, right? I still, uh, I just made that up on the spot, folks. That is not a real syndrome yet, uh, although it might be. But I mean, when I started my own business, of course, uh, you know, you're still in sales, but I still felt like this is how I have to, to present myself. And um, I think, you know, starting to starting my own business and realizing, wait a second, I don't have to do things this way. I can do them my way. I don't have to use this model of computer. I can buy a Mac, you know, all of that, all of that stuff started happening. And, and I think in the middle of all that, I began to realize that, you know, life's a whole lot happier when you're congruent. Um, our business coach, Larry and I have a business coach named Dave Sanderson. And Dave, um, you know, Dave is always talking about congruence, that, that you are the same person when you show up to work, when you go home, when you're hanging out. It doesn't mean that, you know, I, it doesn't mean that I'm sloppy at work. It doesn't mean just because I'm the same person at home and at work doesn't mean I show up to work in gym shorts and, you know, a t-shirt or, or whatever to a client meeting. But what it does mean, because I, I would, you know, I, I wouldn't do that if I were taking my wife on a date either, right? I would right. show some level of respect. And of course, I'm going to show some level of respect. But at the same time, I think now there's room, um, you know, I've discovered that there's room for me to just be me. And, um, you know, and this works really well. And, and um, I think as a salesperson where we live in a, a real I've heard it said, we live in a post-trust world. Like trust is at an all-time low. So when we come to a sales situation nowadays and we're that empty suit, you know, that person who is a different person at work than they are outside of work, they're, you know, a corporate robot. You know, I, I think that we have a hard time make building trust and trust is the commodity of sales without trust. Things are really slow. Uh, but when trust happens, good things happen. And so I think that uh, I've discovered and, and especially uh, it's accelerated since I met Larry and we began building out the philosophy behind selling from the heart. I'm now a very, very firm believer that authenticity is the foundation of trust and trust is the currency of sales. So the more authentic um, we can be, not sloppy, not disrespectful, but the more ourselves we can be, um, I think the more we connect with people, the more successful we are, the more trust we have, and the more fulfilled we are because we're not living you know, it was weird. I mean, I would literally like that moment in the morning I, and I got the double starch, right? I was like, we're doing this. So oh, yeah. 
it was navy suit double starch shirt buttoned up you could hardly breathe and uh <laughs> this canadian kid living in the south you could only imagine what that was like in the summer but i was committed to it and then i would get home and take off the the tie well i'd take it off on the way home right drive home and um you know it just it felt like i was i was almost going on stage when i went to work and um I don't think that breeds trust when you bring uh, an actor to work as opposed to bringing your authentic self to work. Well, that was a fantastic answer. And and to your point, (laughs) trust is the currency of life. It's not even just sales, right? I mean, like no matter what phase, whether if you're a sales professional, I know there's a lot of sales folks who listen to the show, but even if you're not in sales, these are foundational principles that you need to leverage in your entire life. Trust is in, is so important. And it's so funny, Daryl. I literally had a conversation with one of uh, my coworkers today and he, he, he showed up to the call and he had a, a beanie on and has some tattoos. He had his arm rolled mm-hmm. up and he said, Hey, guess what, Tyler? This is, this is how I show up to a CFO conversation as well. He said, when you, when you show up like that, it makes them calm down a little bit too. Like, Oh, this guy is, is laid back. He, we're still getting the business done but it yeah, makes yeah. people feel more comfortable. So what do you, like, that's authenticity at the forefront, right? I mean, that's being your, your, that's being yourself through and through. Yeah, and I think there's, I really do believe that there's some boundaries to that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen people show up to, to meetings in uh, outfits that you go, whoa, um, but you know what? It's part of their brand, and if it's really them, um, you know, then it's then it's real. And if it's authentic, one of one of our friends and a, a alumni of the Selling for the Heart podcast is Jesse Cole, and Jesse is the man in the yellow tux, and he is a, you know he is the man in the yellow tux. That's him. Uh, he runs the Savannah Bananas, a baseball team in Savannah, Georgia, that was going bankrupt, and he made it fun. He turned it around. Uh, you know, and so he shows up, I actually ran into him in a hotel lobby once. I'm like, this dude is in a yellow. He was in there too. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, but I got to know him and I'm like, this guy's totally himself. Right. So there's a way to do that. That is, I, I think the real, real thing is not whether just, you know, just because you show up in, um, a t-shirt and, you know, tattoos or, or whatever your, your gig is, if that's really you. Yeah, great, right? Um, if you're doing that to try to create some brand, there's a lot of people trying to do that. I, to me, that's, I don't know, I, that doesn't resonate with me, but I say be yourself. And so one thing you'll notice here, there is not a single tattoo on any of these arms because myself does not like needles. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> this is me. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a Canadian kid with a Southern accent, right? And so this is what you get. And, um, and I'm going to show up and be, be myself, be respectful, um, be, um, be sensitive to where I'm going. You know, there are times where I'll put a suit on, of course. Um, but I'm going to show up as me and not as the corporate robot I was trained to be back, uh, 27 years ago. (laughs) There you go. I want to, even before the 27 years, I want to dive back even a little bit further to, to high school, Daryl, and maybe even getting a little bit into your mentality there. So I did notice you went, you went to Harding University and studied business and political science. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to be interested in business and political science? And let's start there. Yo, what's that all about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I got a business degree. Uh, I got my first sales job when I was, uh, I think I did my first sale when I was about 14 or 15. I grew up in a family, a construction family. And uh, my parents were having an anniversary and I didn't have any money to get them anything. It was a big anniversary. So I built them something. I built this like chair and table set out of two by fours, basically. And uh, so someone was driving by, they saw it in the driveway as I was building it. And they said, how much is it? So that was my first sales job. I was like, $100? <laughs> and they handed me $100 and they left with the table and chairs. And so uh, I knew from an early age and also from my first sales job in uh, direct straight commission sales and consumer electronics selling, once again, oh, I'm going to date myself, cell phones that were in bags and VCRs. What is yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> look it up. Just look it up. <laughs> look it up. So but, you know, I knew that I enjoyed sales. So I, I got in business school. Um, I studied marketing because uh, back, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot. I, there was one class in sales that I took. Um, and um, I knew that sales was going to be foundational for me for whatever I wanted to do in life. Um, you know, it, there was an opportunity. I watched people that had great careers in sales. Um, and I thought, okay, this looks really good. I also realized that if I wanted to start my own company, and I did, that uh, that I was going to need to know how to sell, you know, and that's just the bottom line. There's no, there's no, there's really no um, aspect of life. There's no one on this planet that won't benefit from knowing how to persuade, or or influence, or uh, motivate someone to make. Uh, change or a decision, which is, you know, what sales is. Sales is really applied leadership or leading people um, to, to create a better future. And so, yeah, I think I looked at that, Tyler, and realized getting out of college, first of all, I could get a salary job as a marketing person, or I could get a commission job as a salesperson and accelerate my career. And I'm really thankful I did. Um, I'm really, really thankful. And and so I think that, yeah, all the way back in that first, that first moment when someone said, I want to buy something and handed me that crisp hundred dollar bill as a 15 year old kid, I was like, hmm, this right. sounds and pretty good. I can get I, used to this. The part I love about this, Daryl, though, is you weren't trying, you weren't setting out to do that at first. You were taking a passion and doing something differently for your family, or you weren't worried about the sale. You were focusing on what you were passionate of doing, whether it was helping your family in that situation, I believe you mentioned, or just doing something nice for them, but it resulted in something else. So it here's was another, here, here's I was the, selling from the heart before I even knew it, Tyler. Exactly. And, and, and the <laughs> other thing I love about this though, is like, you didn't know, like you, it sounded like you knew that you wanted to be in sales at that point, but many people don't think that they're going to be in sales, but they fall into sales, right? As we were, mm -hmm. were kind of mentioning before, but no matter what you're doing, like everybody who's listening to this is going to go on a job interview, right? That is selling yourself 101. Right. You're having a conversation and trying to persuade somebody that why they should choose you. So you didn't even know early on that those skills were going to be so foundational in your life, but they were. So that's another big thing of the book that I'm trying to write is like, no matter what job you're in right now, even at the job that I'm in right now, I don't know what skills I'm going to, I'm going to learn now that I'm going to use later on in your career. And even for you right now, but what you're doing right now, doubling down and tripling down on all of those skills, no matter what it is, is going to pay way more than the, 
minimum wage that you were actually making at that time? <laughs> well, I actually have a confession to make. So I got the, uh, the marketing uh, business administration with an emphasis in marketing. And then um, I was, I was young. And so I thought well, I'll, I'll do another year. And I wanted to, I had this hankering that I was going to go to law school. So I thought there's a great career. And, and of course I pictured, you know, like Tom Cruise in the courtroom and a few good men, right. I'm going to be that person, which is by the way, a salesperson, right. That is convincing and persuading and, and all of that. And, uh, and so I thought I was going to go to law school. And, and the idea was I, I would get a sales job for a couple of years and then I'd get ready, you know, get ready and apply to law school and, and all of that. And Tyler, what ended up happening was two years into my sales career, I was making more money than friends of mine that were graduating from law school. Right. And that's when, <laughs> that was when I was like, and that's when I also figured out, hey, wait a second, no one calls an attorney unless there's a problem. And I really don't like problems. And I don't like paperwork. So either one of them, I was like, oh, forget yeah. law school. But that's where I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I looked at sales as a route to uh, where I wanted to go. It wasn't law school. It ended up being being an entrepreneur. But the, the skills that I've learned in sales have helped me in every aspect of my, my business and personal life. Um, and I think one of the best things about sales is you actually develop some core leadership skills in sales. You may not know it. You may not be trying to develop leadership skills. But if leadership, as John Maxwell would say, leadership is influence, sales is influence, right? So the skills that I learned in selling also are extremely useful to me in the nonprofit work I do and any, any area, whether it's business or personal, where I'm called to be a leader, I feel very, very confident that I can step up and lead. And I think I really owe a lot of that to selling. Listen here, folks, you hearing this from Larry, I mean, not from Larry, this is Daryl. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it's good. Listen, That's a compliment from, from Daryl, like selling is not just that shyster thing that people do. It's not, it's not just the boiler room. It's not any of this stuff. It's, it's legitimately just having those conversations, building trust, being your authentic self and having a conversation to solve a problem is really all it is. So thank you so much for that great explanation, Larry, Daryl, whoever you are. Um, <laughs> one final, <laughs> one final question book. I really want to jump into some of the nonprofit mm -hmm. work and some of the, the skills that you learned um, when you started that company as well. But before that, I noticed that you were also in chorus in college. I'd be curious <laughs> to hear, is there any kind of lessons from, from being in the chorus that you learned for sales or just in your life later on as well? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good Good uh, question. I'm not sure how I fell into being in chorus, but I did get to travel all over Europe uh, several summers when I was in college. So it turned out really, really cool. Um, chorus and leadership. Um, yeah, I don't, that's, I haven't never thought of that. That's a great question, Tyler. I was actually the president of the chorus. So I'm just naturally a leader wherever I went uh, in all of that. Um, I will say that uh, one thing I have discovered, because I still sing with the symphony, um, and I, I actually really enjoy that. And I think uh, this may be a little bit off the point of your question, but I think anyone that's in a high stress, high performance career, like sales or running a company, you've got to find some outlets where you can unplug. 
And, uh, you know, for me, that's, uh, well, it's a number of things. Two of them come to mind. One is, uh, one is singing and cause you can't think of anything else while you're doing it. It's just timeless. Right. And it's totally different than anything else I do. Um, and the other is mowing my lawn and you go, Daryl, you mow your lawn. Have you not talked to a productivity expert? What the heck? Um, yeah, I mow my lawn because I can go for 35 minutes on my 60 inch zero turn lawnmower and listen to great podcasts like the 20% show, uh, or selling from the heart and, and nobody can call me while I'm on the lawnmower. And I can actually have a moment of time where I just reconnect with, uh, noise. And at the end I go, that was a good job. That looks really good. And so I think to me, one of the things that, that I've learned along the way as a salesperson person and as a leader and an entrepreneur is there have to be outlets in your life um, where, where you're able to totally disconnect from all of it. Otherwise, you know, it'll eat you alive. I love that answer, Daryl. I, I was thinking you were probably going to go more towards like the <laughs> being, being on stage or getting comfortable, which I'm sure that that was another byproduct of being in front of people, not being afraid to get, your, get out of there. But this answer was even better because everybody <laughs> needs kind. this is this is really, really important though, because I think too many mm-hmm. people get really focused on the productivity, like you mentioned, and trying to work as many hours as you can a week and not doing all those activities that are really just draining your battery versus the ones that are actually going to fulfill you as well. So and two, like even cutting the grass, you're you're learning, you're educating yourself during that time. And then also you have a nice finished byproduct of what actually like I accomplished this. This looks great. That's the one thing about sales that I don't love necessarily all the time is that you don't see that finalized finished product right in front of you, you especially in this virtual world. So sometimes you don't get that same fulfillment as if you were doing, you know, my dad's in construction. So I, I've done a ton of construction in my lifetime, including this wall right here in our house. So Very I nice. have a sense of pride in knowing that we helped do that. And it's something that we did. So finding those things that help you feel fulfilled are going to help you in your rest of your career as well. Yeah. And going back to just performing on stage, I think you brought up a good point that um, I'm glad you brought that up because there is, you know, I learned in, in that role that when the lights turn on, you know, when you're on stage, when the conductor steps up to the, you know, podium and taps the thing, you've got to show up and you've got to, you have to perform, but the best performers are people that show up with their authentic self, right? They're the people that are able to show up and perform and be themselves. And so sales and leadership is very, very similar, right? I mean, in sales, you got to show up, you know, and I used to, the, the choir director used to say, okay, you know, I don't care what, how you feel. I don't care if you didn't get any sleep. I don't care if you're sick. It doesn't matter when you walk on that stage for two hours, snap your fingers, you're there. Uh, because you owe that to the audience. You owe that to the people who showed, showed up, right? And I think sales is the same way. And there's a, there's a balance between, we talked earlier about faking it and being the corporate robot and all of that. There's also a tension in that where you realize that when I'm in a client's office or when I, I come to a Zoom meeting with a prospect or client, I need to show up and be ready to perform, um, not perform as in be fake or someone I'm not, but I need to be there and be ready to, to get whatever needs to be done, done to lead effectively. Same thing as a leader. If I'm going to show up 
to a meeting that I'm leading, um, it doesn't matter how the rest of my day went. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, if uh, I got stuck in traffic and I'm angry. It doesn't matter if a client called me five minutes beforehand and and you know rattled my cage on something. I got to show up and be present. And I think that's one thing that I learned in sales and also in performance is that you do need to show up. And when you show up, you need to bring your heart to it. Like you've got to be there, um, but make no mistake. I mean, I think sometimes when we say that salespeople are authentic, um, sometimes people can hear maybe sloppy or casual. Uh, no, no. In fact, it's the, it's the exact opposite. When you're there authentically and you're actually authentically caring, I was talking to Jonathan Darling earlier today, love-based leadership. And he's like, love is not just a mushy, gushy thing. Love is, I really give a rip and I'm going to make sure that I'm on point when it's time, um, time to execute, when it's time to perform. So when the lights come on, whether you're walking onto a stage with an orchestra or you're walking into a meeting, you know, you have to be there and show up. And I think that's that state change that Tony Robbins talks about is something very critical for all of us to learn and to learn to be authentic in the middle of it. So you probably never thought that your chorus career was actually going to help you so much in sales, right? No, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I was actually just yesterday talking about that, you know, snapping the fingers and showing up. And, um, that was, that was something I learned. And, and I think we've got to be able to do that. And we've got, but we've got to be able to do that, not into snap the fingers. Cause I knew how to snap the fingers and turn into, you know, Daryl, Amy, account executive, corporate robot, you know, president's club winner, blah, blah, blah. That could spout all of the stuff. Right. That's not what I'm talking about, but I am talking about being there, being present, being engaged and being on point with, with what that client or prospect needs. And that's exactly the point of just being there in general for people, for your kids, for your grandchildren, for whoever you're with. It's so important to be able to always be present in that as well. So, and the other thought I had before we jump into some of the other stuff is um, I think of that, like when we're in sales, a lot of the time we're that conductor, there's a lot of moving parts that are going on and we need to orchestrate all of these different groups of people or the instruments or whatever, right? So we need to be that orchestra and take the lead and try to conduct that into a nice sound sales process or a nice finished product. So I love the, the, the <laughs> that chorus question. I, I'm, I'm so glad I need to start finding some more there of those go. micro things because that, that, this, is, this is great. So I want to dive a little bit further into your career, discussing some of the, obviously you were the co-founder and CEO of some, organiza- uh, some different organizations. What would you say the biggest lesson was from, pick, pick which one of everyone you want, what was the biggest lesson that you learned from going out on your own versus just being an individual contributor working somewhere else? Yeah, um, a lot. <laughs> How do you narrow that down? I mean, the, the University of Hard Knocks is the uh, is the best university for learning out there. And so I learned a lot of different things, Tyler. But one of the things that uh, that comes to mind that is really important is the importance of focus. Um, you know, when you go out on your own, you start a business of any kind, it's very tempting to um, look at whatever shiny object comes in front of you. And I'm a visionary kind of guy. I like shiny objects. I like new things. I like new gadgets. I like new technology. I like new ideas, which is fantastic. However, 
there's a point where you look and go, okay, this is what we're doing and let's do that and let's do that well. And let's not, you know, dodge around. I think, you know, I learned that um, early in my business that if I went back and did it over again, I'd be more focused. Um, the other thing I would do is uh, what I learned to do later in my business career, which is bring focused people onto the team. So, you know, you can, you, if you're a visionary, you can fly your freak, freak flag and use your superpower and all of that to come up with new ideas, but make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are able to execute and, and also able to kind of rein you in when you need to be reined in. So I think, um, you know, entrepreneurs, it's great that we've got great ideas, drive and vision, but we need to some, sometimes kind of keep it between the lines in terms of focus. Focus is another one of those skills that you need in all aspects of your life, especially in a, it's so funny too, that you say that because there's so many areas where I think of, you know, oh, sometimes I do do that shiny object, or maybe I should focus here or focus here, not focus. Your brain goes that way, but really focus in on what, what it was is that main thing that we wanted to get into and then double down and triple down on that. So thank you so much for that as well. Diving into some of the nonprofit work, I'm sure that that's incredibly fulfilling for you. I know you're, you're the co-chair of the Kingdom Mission Fund right now. What is the biggest reason why somebody should get involved with a nonprofit organization and, and what kind of fulfillment do you get from that? There are all kinds of reasons and there is all kinds of fulfillment because here's the deal. It's not, this is, you know, money is not the end game <laughs> and in sales and as business owners, you know, we keep score with money. Money is a scorecard. Um, in a lot of ways in terms of how much value we're adding. But at the end of the day, um, you know, what is most fulfilling in life is making a contribution uh, to make the world a better place. I mean, this is, um, yeah, I'm all for making money and a revenue growth engine. You know, I have a vision of 10,000 generous business owners doubling their revenue and generating $10 billion in net new giving. At Selling from the Heart, we're in the process of helping a thousand sales teams double their revenue to generate $200 billion in net new giving. And so, or 200 million in net new giving. And so, all of this is, all of this has a purpose. It can have a purpose. And I got hoodwinked into going uh, you know, on a uh, trip. My, my family's in construction as well. So, there was, a uh, group in Honduras that was building an orphanage and they were building a building down there. So I got hoodwinked into going on this trip. Uh, I'd like to say I had a great heart and was enthusiastic about it, but really like any other Monday morning, I showed up at the airport. This time though, I landed in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And when I arrived, I looked at, actually looking out the airplane going, uh-uh, we're not doing this. <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, while I was there, my heart changed. I came home and I thought, you know what, uh, what I want to make sure that happens. I didn't, I was like, how do these people pay for any of this? This is, you know, this is incredible what they're doing, solving some of the biggest problems in our hemisphere. And I thought, how do they pay for this? And so I put a business plan together and I was meeting with a mentor of mine and, uh, the footnote of the business plan and like six point font said, we're going to take a percentage of the revenue of this company and dedicate it to, uh, help, you know, innovative emissions projects fund themselves. And so he jumped all over that. And next thing you know, we'd started what would become kind of like Shark Tank for missions innovation. We get applications from all over the world 
innovative ideas. Uh, we've been able to fund over 200 projects and uh, it's, it's just amazing. We get about 60 deals in every year and I've met this incredible network of innovative people doing incredible things. What are the benefits of that? So many benefits. First of all, it makes me realize that this isn't all about me, which is really helpful, right? Is really helpful. Uh, because when you're at the top of the sales board and when you're crushing it as an entrepreneur and, and all the perks that come with it, um, you know, pride tends to, to slip in. And uh, we all know what happens with pride, right? It, uh, the good book says it comes before a fall. <laughs> so you don't want that. I think it helps you be humble, but it also uh, helps you realize that the contribution, the hard work that you're doing, and it is hard to be in sales. It is hard to be an entrepreneur. The hard work you're doing is not only benefiting your family, but it's also benefiting the world. And so I love the work that I get to do in that project in seeing, you know, the spillover impact. In this case, we have lots of different donors and business people contributing. So we're able to, to group our, our, uh, our investment and, and truly make an incredible impact. And to me, that's what, you know, at some point you make enough money to go, I'm really comfortable, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just the way, the way it is. I think the stat I saw recently, and it's probably different for different parts of the world or country, but at $88,000, they say, um, you're comfortable. You know, maybe that number is higher for you. Maybe it's higher for me, but there's a number at, at which point you're comfortable. And if you're a good salesperson, uh, you sell from the heart. If you're a um, entrepreneur, especially one that uses the revenue growth engine, you're going to make way more money than whatever that, that number is. And so um, you know, what's going what's gonna to motivate you at that point? And to me, what motivates me is, is seeing contribution, whether that contribution is in um, being able to give to a nonprofit like the Kingdom Missions Fund or like our partner um, Sleep in Heavenly Peace that we work with at one of my companies that builds beds for kids that don't have beds. I think that's awesome, right? That's incredible. That's, yeah, that's, that gets me out of bed in the morning. That, that keeps me fired up. So the other thing that keeps me fired up is creating meaningful work for people because let's face it, salespeople and entrepreneurs, we're the job creators in this world. Nothing happens until someone sells something. And uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a staunch defender of the sales profession. I realize there are some slimeball salespeople, but the majority oh, yeah. <laughs> of salespeople are good people and they're out there. They want to make the world a better place. They want to you know, advance their family. And in the process, they are creating and preserving jobs. And so I think even though some people would say sales is at the bottom of the barrel in nobility for professions, I think it's actually the most noble profession out there because everything else that happens in the economy and in nonprofits happens because someone got out of bed in the morning and sold something. You can be all wow. fired up, Tyler. No, I'm, I'm pumped, man. And, and really, it makes me, you're making me feel bad, Daryl, because I'm not doing any of this, this nonprofit work or anything. So th this is a, no, and, and don't feel bad. Um, This is something that, I think this is also a game changer because I, I do have those goals of being philanthropic and being able to give back to these organizations, but maybe you could, I could start doing it 
without just doing it, maybe just with my time as well in some of these areas. But I, I love that, Daryl. Thank you so much. I want to jump in. You mentioned the revenue growth engine. Yeah. We see it behind your shoulder. Daryl wrote a book, Revenue Growth Engine, How to Align Sales and Marketing to Accelerate Growth. Why did you write that book? And let's just ask that question. <laughs> Well, I already shared the reason why I wrote the book. I want to help companies, generous companies grow so they can give more and create meaningful work. And that the, that was the motive. Behind that, though, was also some frustration. So I, as we mentioned earlier, I've spent 27, I guess now 28 years in B2B sales, sales leadership. I've developed sales training programs and all the way for uh, all the way up to Fortune 500 companies. And at the same time, 18 years ago, when I started my first sales training company, my first client came to me and said, hey, Daryl, everything you taught my sales team was great, but our website doesn't say anything about it. Do you build websites? Being an entrepreneur and being as that was my first client, the answer was, yes, sir, we so build websites. So I pulled that marketing degree out of my hip pocket and we started a digital marketing agency and went on that whole journey of web search, social, inbound, uh, you know, account-based marketing, all in all the technologies, really fascinating. Um, so I'd been one, one foot in the sales world, one foot in the rapidly evolving marketing world. And what I was noticing was it was kind of like going, you know, it's, it's about to be ski season, you know, and so you get, point your skis down the hill the problem is if, if your skis start pointing away from each other, there's going to be an orthopedic surgeon involved at some point, right? It's about right. to get really bad. Um, what's really important is that sales and marketing be pointed in the same direction and aligned. And so one day uh, when I was mowing my lawn, there you go story. See, there's more benefits. Um, and I'm I, uh, not advocating that everyone needs to mow their lawn, but I get some good ideas while I'm listening yep. to podcasts and mowing my lawn. And I'm Driving across the lawn, Tyler, in my 60-inch zero-turn lawnmower, listening to a podcast going, I don't know, there's no speedometer on my lawnmower, but I'm guessing two miles an hour. And uh, I looked down the driveway at my car, and I had this just this moment where I was like, my car has an engine, and my lawnmower has an engine. So if I wanted to drive from where I am to where you are in Pennsylvania, I theoretically could get on my lawnmower. And I could drive to your place. It, it just would take me a long time. Um, and I probably would suffer much ridicule along the way as I did it. Um, kind of like that guy in the Waterboy movie, right? Yep. So I don't want to be that guy, but I have a car. It also has an engine. It just so happens my lawnmower, I looked it up, has 27.8 horsepower and two cylinders or four maybe. My car has eight cylinders and 420 horsepower. So both are engines, both will get me where I want to go, but I guarantee you one is going to get me there a lot faster, a lot more comfortably and a lot more efficiently. And I began to realize every business has an engine. It's their revenue engine. It's the sum total of their sales and marketing processes. It just so happens that some companies have a two cylinder, 27 horsepower engine running um, and other people have an eight cylinder or 12 cylinder uh, engine that is helping them accelerate. And so I started thinking, well, what are all the, what are all the pieces of that engine? Like what are all the cylinders from a sales and marketing standpoint that would need to be in place to allow a company to function well? And that's where the, the beginning of the book came together in the revenue growth engine is a model to align sales and marketing to accelerate revenue growth. 
Wow, Daryl, that is so great. And, I, and totally, I, I, my job at Vidyard right now too, I, I work with a lot of sales and marketing professionals and I see those skis going the opposite right. way. So maybe- It's a painful ending. Absolutely. Right? Maybe I'm going to start using, I'm going to start using that, that analogy as well. Cause I think that, that that really shows a great example of it. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for that, Daryl. And also I just looked from Arkansas to Philadelphia, 17 and a half hours, <laughs> almost 1200 miles. So that might take a little while. And on, on uh, two miles an hour on that lawnmower. Yeah. I might be there by spring. I don't know how that's <laughs> going to do when it starts snowing. So I think I'm going to take my car. There you go. Very or, good. Or even better, a jet engine might be the better thing. And I'll well, just guess get what? There that's that's the best engine. You're you're optimizing the best way to that's get right. from point A to point B. So, bottom line is get the revenue growth engine. I'm excited to read the book, and uh, I'm excited to give you my feedback. So, awesome. thank you. I can't so, wait. Thank you so much for this, Daryl. This this time absolutely flew by. I have one final question that I love to ask all of my guests on the show. If you were to teach a college 101 class based upon all of your life experience. What would you teach and why? It'd be on goal setting. And, I, you know, I mean, we all know the data that, you know, what was it like 10, less than 10% of Harvard graduates in the study set goals, but, you know, 25, 30 years later, they'd made 80, 90% of the money. The reality is, um, the reality is a lot of people don't set goals. And even in the sales profession, we let our companies set our goals for us. This is your quota. Well, I understand you have a quota, but like, what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? You know, we got in sales because there's no ceiling on our income. So one of the things that's really, really important is that we not only set goals, but we have a process in place to achieve those goals. And so one of the things I learned early on and I've carried with me and even uh, built my own system for this because I'm so passionate about it is, you know, setting goals having a quarterly meeting with myself where I look at where I am versus what I want to accomplish. I reconnect with my values, my mission, my life story that I've written in advance. And I plan the next 90 days out based on those goals. And I think so many people in sales in particular, um, we show up, the company says, here's your quota. We go, all right, I'll hit the quota. Uh, that's the company's quota. And you probably need to hit that or you're not going to be there very long, right? You can't miss that very much. Uh, But my goals are way, way above any mediocre average quota. Um, And so I started that early on. And and I wish someone had taught me that in college. I kind of, I kind of eased my way into that through just reading and listening to um, you know, various, various Earl Nightingale and reading, um, think and grow rich Napoleon Hill and things like that. But I learned that once you set a goal, as soon as you set a goal, guess what happens? Your mind immediately starts working towards that goal. And so I would teach a, a college class in goal setting and in planning, um, and, in making sure that you create your life, that your life isn't created for you. I love that. And I love that 90 day segment of meeting with yourself. I think that we, we meet with our customers on a quarterly basis. Why are we not meeting with ourselves on that as well? So that is, mm-hmm. that is so fantastic. Daryl, where could people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Well, if you'd like to learn more about revenue growth engine, just text the word revenue to 21,000. That's the word revenue to 21,000 or visit revenuegrowthengine.net. Tyler, there's tools there you can download. I'll even send you a copy of the book for free if you'll pay shipping and handling. Love to do that to any of your listener, uh, for any of your listeners um, on there. And then connect with me on LinkedIn. One of the great things about having last name Amy and a first name Daryl is 
as far as I know, there's only one other Daryl Amy in the United States, and he runs a painting contracting company on the West Coast. So as long as you find true stories. So I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn and uh, any way I can add value uh, to your listeners. I'd be happy to do that. Daryl, thank you so much again. And a special thank you to Larry Levine for doing some of the intros here as well. I, I really appreciate that. But again, Daryl, thank you so much and have a good one. Hey, you too, man. Thank you so much for listening into today's episode. I've been really getting some great feedback from listeners and many have left a rating and review on Apple Podcast as well. If you enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a review as well. It truly goes a very long way in spreading the word for our guest and also allows me to continue to bring on more incredible guests and onto the show. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Thank you so much, everyone. Episode, thank you so much, everyone. Episode, thank you so much.